So, do you see that I published my first big time story? Like, this is the first one I actually wrote, published all that by myself. Did you see that, Steve? I did. I did. And you should be very proud of it because it was good. Well, I appreciate that. I will say this. It was not my choice to actually write this story. Rory was like, hey, look up this guy and tell me what you think. And I went to the first video I saw and it was this trick called The Trick That Fooled David Blaine. And I hit the play button and it looked like it was something from like a, a movie. Like it very much felt like a spy thriller or a conspiracy theory video. Um, and then they were like, this trick came from Chung Lee Su. And I was like, uh, okay, I didn't know he did card tricks. And then they did a trick and I was like, huh, Chung Ling Su must be a weird uh, way to pronounce John Bannon. <laughs> And, uh... <laughs> it's almost like he just plucked a historical magician out of the ether when that one will do. I mean, John Bannon's old, but I don't think he's that old. <laughs> I'm Nathan. I'm one of his content producer, and I'm Steve from Real Magic Review. And on this month's show, Rory shares his thoughts on creativity. We have a coin trick from David Britland. David Blaine finds himself again injured on stage. We talk about Oscar Owen and his YouTube fame. And why did the Magic Circle just ban a magician? Okay. Um, Steve, thanks so much for agreeing to co-host our show. Uh, Will you do the honors of uh, kind of telling us about our first story of the month? First story is is interesting to me, especially at the moment with what's going on with my show and stuff, is magicians who protect their ideas don't have many. This kind of controversial idea that Rory had after seeing Andre Chinichka's, uh, or Chinichka's, with a silent kind of slightly overpronounced uh, P there, um, about creativity and crediting and creating and the difference between being a creative and a creator. And this was after seeing Mark Ronson's TED Talk and talking to Paul Keeve, which I never know how to pronounce correctly. I think that's right. I think it is Keeve. And uh, thank you for introducing that story yeah. in the op-ed that Rory wrote, because uh, I did not want to mispronounce Andre's name. I have too much respect for him to do that. Yeah, well, I had, to, I had to introduce him at the session. And I get quite, and I might have mispronounced it there, by the way. Um, but I get quite, I really want to get people's names right. But the more I think about it, the more worried I get. And when I introduced him, I sort of said it to myself so many times when I was on stage, I had to look at my phone and just kind of go, nah, it's gone. But I think it's Andre Chenicha, I think. All I know is he's an extremely talented guy. Um, yeah, no, this was uh, the first article of the month. Uh, it came from, of course, the editor-in-chief over at One Ahead, Rory Adams. Um, and these are like the conversations. And what I love about it is like if if anyone has the pleasure of knowing Rory, these are the conversations you're going to inevitably have with him. Um, because yeah, it, it's very much he does not – really care for unexecuted ideas like an idea to him is worthless like i don't know how many times i've like hey rory i have this idea and he's like have you worked on it any and i was like yeah i've worked on it he's like are you going to do something with it i'm like probably not And he'll be like "Uh uh-huh and that very rory tone that he has um but yeah no it's really interesting because i think there's such a interesting topic there of a magician who's like actively working on ideas and like doing cool stuff and then, like this idea of a quote-unquote creator. Yeah, I, I mean, it's it's different context, isn't it? It's a strange thing because you get people that call themselves creators and creatives that are basically saying, you know, I've got blackball coming up. I need to come out with a trick to sell, mm-hmm. which creates, which you know, requires a creative process and to create something. But that's very different to someone who 
you know, is is sitting there every day trying to just generate ideas for the sake of doing it, the joy of it, and to perform. You know, it's it's or for art, I suppose. No, absolutely. Um, I, I, and it's one of those things that 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 quote that he credited to Paul Keeve, like there's only two people who call themselves creators, gods and magicians. Um, <laughs> to me, it is a weird thing because it's when I was younger, you like theory 11 had just came out and you had like all these guys, Blake Foy, Kalen Morelli, um, all these dudes who are just like known as creators. Um, and that's how they kind of got their name in the magic community as creators, not performers, not anything like that. It was just, they create really cool magic. And like there is this generational divide, I feel, of like people who grew up wanting to perform magic and then people who grew up wanting to create magic. And I think there's an interesting kind of dichotomy there because now it's very much like crediting used to be about who gets the credit and like who you can look back to to be like, oh, here's a good source. And now crediting is like, no, 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 I did it first. It went from like a research thing to an ego thing very quickly in my mind. Yeah, and I think that and and that I suppose comes from the ease of being able to put those ideas out. You know, like before and again, I'm old enough to remember when you know I started performing before the internet, <laughs> which is or before the you know at the very early stages of the internet. You know, I remember when I was at circus school, uh, there was like someone that came in and demonstrated it you know mm. as, a, as this thing and we didn't really understand what it was and now and, and back then to create an idea you know there was no kind of instant gratification of being able to put it somewhere and and get those likes you know you created it and mm-hmm. then you had to go through a process so you kind of did it for the sake of itself yeah i mean that's, that's a very wild, different that, thing you know? that's wild growing up with no internet i'm really sorry uh thoughts and prayers um, <laughs> I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now if I had the internet. Uh, but like, it, it's just it's, it's just wild to me that because there used to be that whole thing if you wanted to publish a magic trick, you went to a magic magazine first, and then you had people like looking yeah. over it, and then it just became this thing of a uh, free for all. It was, I mean, it was kind of a money grab, and it felt like that. Like the older I get, because then you get these weird ad copies, and and I think it goes back to what Rory was talking about. Um, and if you're interested in what Roy was talking about, you can read his whole thoughts and opinions on all of this stuff from creator culture to crediting. You can read all that over at one ahead. Um, but like, it is really interesting to see how, as we continue to evolve in magic, we're going to find that these problems are just going to keep happening unless we like start worrying about the best ideas and like executing the best ideas in that. Like if we're just bickering over who had the idea first versus who's actually doing it, it's just going to get, you know, more drama. Uh, we'll find more stories about receipts. I gain, I guarantee it. But I, I think that's, I think that's, you know, sort of joke. It's that's kind of what people are kind of doing it for. Maybe it's kind of it's a slightly different conversation. But the but the, to kind of court that controversy, to court those arguments, to get clicks and likes as well, I think is is something that is happening. So people are enjoying kind of creating that controversy. But I think that Rory's. <laughs> I hope not. You know, but well, I think I think I think some people, you know, we'll look at story we'll talk about later. You know, there's there's a, there's an argument yeah. to say that that's not doing much harm to the person, even in short term, it might. But you know, for everybody's talking about it and people talking about something is is could could win out in the long run but i think rory's article is important because i think it highlights something 
that I've really thought about a lot over years and years of people, you know, claiming, you know, this is my idea and, and mm-hmm. you can't do a version of that idea and, and not acknowledging the fact that it's not their idea. It's yeah. their version of an existing idea that, that wouldn't exist. And that's, to me, the yeah. difference between creating and creativity is that thing of if you're putting something in the world that has never been there before, that mm-hmm. takes so much vulnerability, so much possibility of failure but you taking i don't know a triumph or a trick mm. and doing a tweak on it and saying this is my idea it, it you don't have that level of failure because it's kind of getting to the same place and i think to acknowledge that you know as andre says we can go back and and know where these ideas came from and look at the validity of our kind mm. of expansion on it or just do it anyway for the joy of it you know and and you know sounding like a bit of an old fart <laughs> You know, let's look at what creates. You already ate yourself yourself the internet. I'm 49. (laughs) Mate, I'm 49. This is is my 50th year. So, um, but, you know, the the idea of of creating something, you know, when you're in that creative zone, you're doing it for the, Mm -hmm. you're in in a flow state and you're doing it for the state of itself. And then what comes out is this, is that the the sort of secondary thing is the, the performing it and the, the sharing it but now it's the other way around i feel it's kind of like what can i find to perform and actually that can be yeah. a great deadline and it can work yeah but it's a very different process a lot of i also think it depends on who the audience is but uh to read more about rory's thoughts obviously head over to one ahead he's got plenty of articles for you guys to go through but this one in particular you can go over you can read it and you can have a lot of fun with this op-ed i think it was really well done and very timely uh but i think it's time to head over to the comment section uh we got a comment from david scott willis i truly enjoy finding out Someone else had the same idea that I stumbled upon because of how exciting it is that I had the same idea in Magic, uh, Hero, or one of the greats. And I, that's truly exciting for me, too. It's I don't know how many times I've been researching something, and I'm like, oh, I had this idea, and then find out that Vernon or Marlowe or Animan already had it. And then I get excited because there's you know other people have variations. So maybe your idea is good, but maybe something out there is just as good. And now you get to go down this whole rabbit yeah. hole. So, David, me and you are in the same boat. Uh, it is one of the true thrills of being a magic nerd uh, when I can find an excuse to buy more books. Yeah, me too. And, and Colin Geddes, lovely Colin. He's a member of my course, actually, and community. Uh, I love the rabbit hole of crediting going backwards to see the evolution or evolution of an uh, illusion and understanding how new ideas can branch out. Cracking open the books and seeing it happen is great. And that's the, that rabbit hole of, of research to me is just such a lovely process. Absolutely. Um, I know our good friend and producer Rory might not always agree with going down the rabbit hole for crediting, but uh, I know uh, we got two magic nerds on this podcast this week. So we get to uh, we get to say that going down the rabbit hole is the best experience. uh, And Rory can have an opinion about that and write (laughs) it later. So, Nathan, what story do we have next? Uh, We have a coin trick from the desk of David Britland called uh, Sheep and Thieves. I know it's great. So, so if people don't know, Britland has worked with Darren Brown and uh, he co-write, which I didn't know, the new David Copperfield book, which I've yet to read. But uh, just tell us a little bit about the coin effect. Yeah, no, David Britland is an absolute genius, uh, and this it proves it. It's a transposition effect um, of uh, some coins uh, that involves uh, two thieves, five sheep, uh, two barns, and a grumpy old farmer. Um, it's very charming. It is. It is, and the first bit is self-working, right? Yeah, it's it's one of those rarities in coin magic. So, like, this is not your 
typical knuckle-busting sleight of hand that you kind of expect with coin magic, especially modern-day coin magic. Um, but the first phase is completely self-working, and it's something that you can actually teach your audience, which I found really interesting because it sets up the next two phases really well because then you're using sleight of hand after that point in the next two phases and different sleight of hand on top of that. So you're layering methods. Yeah, he... he and. and- when I when I read the um, the descriptions before reading the trick, I didn't know the trick. And you know, when someone says a charming story about five shit, you kind of go, "All right, here we go." Oh yeah, um, absolutely. You're like, oh, <laughs> is it really that charming? Yeah, trying to charm people, and and charming can be, and actually, I think it is, and I think that a, a lot of these stories are. Uh, but we give we give story going off on a tiny side. We give stories a little bit of of a bad press, but we forget, we hear so many of them of magicians when you hear them mm-hmm. done badly. And we, and we also, I, you know, I've seen a lot of male uh, magicians trying to charm women in a kind of <laughs> sleazy way. You know, if anyone actually gets a phone number or a date from using this effect, uh, I will personally pay for the date. Uh, just prove to me you met a woman well, and did chiefs and thieves. If you prove to me you did that and you picked up a woman, or if you're a woman and you pick up a man, if you pick up anybody, because uh, I don't want to be heteronormative, if you pick up anybody with this trick, I will pay for your date. Um, just contact me with proof. Like, well, I mean, I, I, I it's <laughs> like it's, it's a funny idea, but and this is kind of a thing that with. We, the trick itself is great. I, I, I think I genuinely think it's a real, it's a lovely, lovely magic trick, and the story does. It's one of the few tricks the story does work with it. And I think you can tell these stories in different ways. You can be sort of super serious about it, which it's about you, you can't with sheep and barns, but bah. you can do it in a charming way if you're no yeah. What well, by saying bars it says in the instructions, but I think you can do these stories in a kind of knowing way, right? You can mm-hmm. do them yeah. not you don't play them down as if they're rubbish, but you do them in a kind of, right, I'm going to tell you a story and create a thing. And you can do it with a very slight hint of irony without yeah. taking it. And I think that these sort of things can be great. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, usually, because that that's because David Britland also has this wonderful thing with a moo box, which I actually took the time out of my life to look up a moo box and contemplated buying yeah. one. I really did contemplate buying one just <laughs> for this right. effect because – um, I don't want to underplay this effect. Yes, I'm making fun of the charming story because, um, you know, five, two thieves, five sheep, uh, two barns, and you're using coins. Uh, it is, it can be rather silly. It can, but I think you're absolutely right. Yeah. If you if you do play it off with like this hint of sincerity and irony in the same moment, um, where you know it's a silly it's a silly story to do this trick, and they know it's a silly story to do this trick, and you guys are both in on the joke of it being a silly story. And then you end with the moo box. Um, I genuinely yeah. think that the way this trick is constructed, I, I don't want to underplay this. David is brilliant for this. The construction is so well because it can be used as a sucker trick because you're, you can do the first phase, show them how the first phase works. And then you're using sleight of hand and you're using multiple variations of sleight of hand to kind of go, okay, now you know how the trick works. See if you can follow along. And you're using these sleight of hands that are very easy to kind of build that. And I know you as a professional magician, and I I know that sucker tricks just are killers for audiences. They love them. I know, and that and that's a, it's again a really interesting thing. When uh, how many times have I read that you should never do a sucker trick? You should never do a trick that 
that feels like you're pulling one over on the audience because it's rude or it makes them feel insecure or it makes it, and of course it does if it's done badly. Um, but that moment, it, uh, and I remember seeing my first ever one, and I hadn't, I'd seen hardly any magic. I wasn't a magician. Someone showed me a kind of version of matching the cards where they were like, is that your card? Is that your card? Is that your card? And it wasn't. And then they turned them all round and it was four Kings or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and they'd switched them out. And I, that that sw- switching them out of I'd seen them put four in different cards down, and then they turned them over with their four kings was mm. so different than I never cared for someone telling me what card I picked, and I still don't really. You mm-hmm. know, it's it's kind of like the idea of fooling me is yeah, well, fine. You know, it's a puzzle, but the idea of showing me that was magic. And I think if you do it properly, no, you're not insulting anybody. They know the game; they're playing the game with you, and it's wonderful. I think it's great, and it's yeah. a great trick for that. And it's also one of those things, it's you're teaching them a real method in the first phase. So they can actually go off and do this to a kid at their, at like, in their family or whatever. So, like, they can kind of express magic, too, because I think we often get lost in this idea of that every trick has to be professional level and you can only perform it like you're a professional. No, like, I'm a very casual performer. I don't perform professionally, um, at least not anymore. And so, like, I do tricks where I'll teach methods to friends and family because then you know what's going to happen. They're going to go perform a magic trick. And now there's a bigger interest in magic. Um, but do you know my favorite part about this article, Steve? Yeah, go on. It's great crediting. Just absolutely great crediting. David Britland leaves no stone unturned in his crediting. Um, and the trick is for, completely for free for everyone. You don't even have to be a, a paid subscriber to oneahead.com. But all you have to do is go over there. You can find the trick there. Uh, it is truly one of the hidden gems in magic, and I want to thank David personally for uh, giving that to us um, because I cannot wait to buy a Moo box and make myself laugh probably harder than my audience. Yeah, I'm old enough to remember when Moo boxes first came out. No, You're old enough to remember a lot of things, Steve. <laughs> uh, that was mean. I'm sorry. I love you. I found, I, found, I found my through line. I have found my through line. <laughs> yeah. Crediting yeah. And, and crediting right. Steve Elton. That's my through line for this episode. Yeah, and my age. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So our next story is a bit of a follow-up from a story back in January on One Ahead, which was David Blaine injuring himself, and he's done it again. Yeah, uh, it, not surprising. Um, but I think the last time he injured himself in January – he was doing the smash and stab. And I think this time it wasn't the smash and stab. No. So he was, so the first one was smash and stab, uh, unsurprisingly, weirdly enough. Um, (laughs) This, he jumped nine stories and the video is incredible, by the way. I read this and then watched the video, Uh, hit the boxes uh, and suffered what can only be called a horrific shoulder injury. And you can kind of hear it being popped back in the place. The show was paused and several doctors in town for an orthopedic convention. Which yeah, can, just orthopedic convention in Vegas. Uh, Love it. Yes. the uh, yeah. and They just yeah. were like, let's go see David Blaine. He could use our help. Yeah, yeah. Jumped on stage, half an hour, uh, popped his shoulder back in place. Only for it, this is such a great thing, only for it to pop out four minutes later. I love, I love how specific that is. Not five minutes, four minutes later. Uh, instead of going to we finished the show. Good old oh. David Blaine. See, I just can't get over the fact that there was an orthopedic convention and they happened to go to the David Blaine show and they happened to be needed that night. Um, that's just pff, cosmic irony. Well, like, I, yeah, I don't know how I know. else to describe it. It's... <laughs> 
Like, no, but you're right. The video is like the cynic in me. And and I'm, you know, I, I didn't think this for, for a moment. Um, but the cynic in me did kind of go, come on, is this all kind of, because there's been a few <laughs> stories and, you know, it's gold, isn't it? It's gold. It is. It as, is. As because, like, it's one of those things where um, it, it was just so, it was so interesting that he stayed on stage while he was getting treated. Because it's like they pulled him off stage and they put him back on stage. And for 30 minutes, you have like five doctors, I think it was, like just working to pop his shoulder back into place. And you had like people on his team, um, like recording it and putting it on Instagram. And like, and a, it makes me wonder, like, what's the ethical implications of like getting hurt on stage performing, and then like having your audience watch you for thirty minutes get your shoulder pop pop back into place? Like, what? Like, okay, like I mean, David Blaine's David Blaine; he can do whatever the hell he wants to do. But like. Eesh. Yeah, I mean, the ethical, it's a strange one. I hadn't really thought about ethics of it. I suppose it's a choice. I mean, people can walk out, people can leave and ask for their money back, I'm sure. But it's it's the ultimate sort of jeopardy. And we all know that, you know, any show or act needs a bit of jeopardy and 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 a kind of that jeopardy to be overcome. And what's what better way to, than to injure yourself? And it's, it's you know, it's literally yeah. people you're driving past a road accident and, and then you've got, is he going to be all right? And then he jumps up and everybody goes, yay. I mean, it's it's perfect in a way, isn't it? And ethically, I yeah, I mean, if he was sitting there with his arm hanging off with blood everywhere, it might be a slightly different thing. Yeah. But, I mean... Uh, had he not been okay, it would have been a very different thing, wouldn't it? Yeah. And I mean, it goes back to this thing. Um, I mean, it's kind of like with Smash and Stab. So, like, uh, I'm, I'm a firm believer that Smash and Stab is not a good trick. And magicians have fooled themselves into thinking it is a good trick. Um, because, like, I'm from America. And we get made fun of for watching NASCAR. But I'm telling you right now, I don't know a single American that watches NASCAR for the race itself. They are waiting for the crash. Really? Yeah. They they love the crash. They want to see the crash. That's the stuff they want to talk about. And like smash and stab is the same thing. Like we have fooled ourselves into thinking it's entertaining because we're naturally having people interested. Is he going to hurt himself? And it's just one of those things where I'm like, A, Everyone has hurt themselves doing this trick. The biggest names in our industry, David Blaine, Darren Brown, have both hurt themselves doing this trick. And I just don't understand the point of like real danger. Like, so we kind of quote over at One Ahead, we quoted um, Penn and Teller, them talking about like using real danger in your act. And it's just fascinating to me that Penn and Teller have probably the longest career out of most magicians at this point. Like, I think only superseded by David yeah. Copperfield. And, like, you can read the quote. Uh, it has some uh, profanity in there. Um, but, yeah, like, why use real danger? Like, it's... But, once again, David Blaine is David Blaine. Uh, I, I think he's definitely pushing the envelope of... Uh, of what can be done on stage. And, uh, yeah, it's a nine-story fall. Like, what, <laughs> like, what do you expect Sorry. to happen? Like, it's going... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I kind of disagree with with the idea of people wanting you to hurt yourself, and I think it depends on your audience. I think if when in, in front of a certain audience, yes, that's what people are doing, and on the internet, of course, you know, you're getting people that want to see that. But I think you know, if I look at the audience that I'm, I'm doing a show tonight, and I look at me in an audience when I see something like smash and stab, I don't care for the trick, and I've done a version of it, a kind of comedy version, where I sat on them. Mm. Um, 
But that could have ended up real bad, it Steve. Was, it was, that would have been the best internet thing well, in the world. Well, it couldn't have, and that's... <laughs> yeah. And, but that was the, the point of it, was me going, I can't I can't take that risk. Of course I can't. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had to do it in a very different comical way. It wasn't I, it wasn't creating... People knew that I wasn't, I wasn't going to do it, but they still didn't know it was done, so it was more of a magic mm-hmm. trick. I, I watched that trick, and I actually, if it's done well, and it rarely is, um, it, it, it plays like an escape. I don't, I did a straitjacket escape for 20 years. Mm. Uh, again, a sort of comedy version. But I wasn't, when I see a normal, boring one, I just go, yeah, well, I know you're going to get out. You wouldn't put it on if you weren't going to get out. Mm-hmm. But when I saw Penn and Teller do theirs, even though I knew it was going to be all right, there felt like there was genuine jeopardy. And there, mm-hmm. and, there, and afterwards, it's this release that you get of going, He's all right, and for me, I'm glad he's all right. I don't yeah. want, I don't want the, the injury, and I think depending on your audience, it will play well to an audience that does not want you to hurt yourself. And with this, people clearly would have wanted him to get up. Yeah, uh, had he yeah. been dead, I don't think people yeah. would have gone. Yeah, we got what we wanted. You know, no. Uh, so it's it's kind of weird because it's I I don't think anyone wants to see him get hurt. Except for maybe David himself. <laughs> like at this point, I'm just like, David's stabbing himself. Like he's over there. He doesn't even do the smash and stab. He just like pokes himself with uh with ice picks. Um he just he just skipped to the conclusion. Like he was like, Oh, this is what you want to see. Here you go. Without, without the um, bags. <laughs> yeah. So uh, for me, it's it's one of those weird things. I, I I think David is really good at leaning into his mistakes. Um because yeah. there is this idea of like he 30 minutes of them popping his shoulder back in place just for it to pop back out four minutes later. Like at that point, And like, I've heard about his show. It's, it's not a magic show in like, he's doing magic tricks. He's an incredible person doing incredible things on stage. And the simple fact that like he continued on with his very physically demanding show after his shoulder uh, dislocated. I'm just like, if I was David, I'd be like, all right, I'm just going to do a uh, two card Monty for the rest of the night. Just <laughs> one at a time, come up, get in a line. Yeah. Um, I'm doing two card Monty. Um, but no, he continued on with the rest of his show, which is insane. Uh, there's fewer people in magic that uh, work harder than David Blaine. Uh, I wish him a speedy recovery um, a- until he falls off another nine story uh, jump. And uh, hopefully that one goes better. Hopefully the boxes uh, catch him a little bit better. Um, we can read the full story once again, oneahead.com. Um, and I pulled one of the longer comments uh, left by a friend of yeah, the show, Pete McCabe, um, for us to read. Uh, for those who don't know, Pete McCabe is a wonderful magician, and he actually wrote a wonderful book called Scripting Magic, uh, which should be oh, on your bookshelf. Books. It should be on your bookshelf. There's no yeah. excuse. Uh, and Steve, I think you're going to do the honors of reading this out for us. Yeah, so uh, Pete says we're used to magic tricks being impossible. That's kind of a definition, but a lot of tricks are not actually impossible. The invisible deck isn't impossible at all. The only thing that's impossible to believe is that someone could get lucky every time, uh, as in the card being the other way around. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's another way that the trick can be impossible. David Blaine has a trick where he stabs an ice pick-shaped thing through his hand. This is not impossible, but he's able to maintain the conversation while doing it. That's impossible. It's not physically impossible, but it seems to me impossible for a human being to stab an ice pitch through the hand and just carry on normally. And yeah, it's it's a and there's so much in there. We could talk oh, about yeah. two hours on oh, that yeah. because I, I think there's there's stuff that I agree with and stuff I disagree with. But yeah. I think it's a it's a really valid point. No, I think I, I think Pete does a really good job of just nailing home that. Uh, yeah, 
yeah, anybody can stab themselves. Anyone can do that. Um, but it takes a special person, uh, like David Blaine, to do it and hold eye contact and talk to you while you feel very uncomfortable because there's a man stabbing himself through the hand for our entertainment. So uh, to David Blaine, we salute yeah. you. We, uh, m- my idol in magic, although I don't do anything crazy like that. Uh, but he definitely is, as Pete says in that comment, he is definitely exploring a different type of magic. And for that, we should all be grateful because I don't want to jump off tall things. No, nor me. I'm going to say <laughs> one more thing and cut this. Um, cut this if because that's why I've waited to the end to say it. Yeah. Um, but I think that there's a couple of things that I think people, the what you know, David Blaine is doing something that is actually ancient. He's doing something that mm-hmm. you know I thought Jim yeah. Rose Circus Sideshow do many years ago. Oh yeah. This has been going for years, but it, it, it's not to be compared to you know someone doing the Lincoln Rings you know and that's that's the thing yeah. this idea of impossibility it's a it's a it's a different thing and I remember reading in Gustav Kuhn's book Experiencing the Impossible about the science of magic mm-hmm. that no we all know that this stuff isn't impossible that's why it's impressive if we genuinely genuinely believed in impossibilities it wouldn't be impressive because we yeah. believe it if we thought that things would vanish it wouldn't be impressive because we believe they can anyway so it's that, imp- that I love Pete's quote because it's this thing of this playing with what is impossible, what isn't, and what do we genuinely believe and what makes it, you know, beguiling to us. Yeah. And I think that to me is what's interesting about David Blaine, because um, you're right. He's not doing anything too out of the ordinary for like the history of, uh, for lack of better words, freak shows and sideshows and all of that. Like, yeah. Like, like when he, like when he did the sword swallowing thing, yes, he combined it with a magic trick where he like takes a ring, does a sucker trick where he pretends to swallow it. And then he takes a coat hanger, like all of that. And like, it's almost uncomfortable the way David does it because there's not that level yeah, of sure. polishness. Like you see a sword swallower, um, like louder milk. He, it's just so clean. Both David, he was gagging yeah. and like, there was this like, oh, just, man. Oh, like it, it was, it, it just felt so real. It didn't feel polished. Yeah. It, nothing David does feels super polished. And I think that's what gives David Blaine his like yeah. aura because like, absolutely. He, he, he just takes that line and just blurs it. And like, when I first heard about him injuring himself with smash and stab, I was like, Oh, that's not real. And then I remembered, Oh, everyone gets hurt with smash and stab. He probably hurt himself. Um, cause once again, <laughs> terrible trick, stop doing it, please. Um, that if I could snap my fingers and just remove one trick from magic, it would be smash and stab because it's a one out of four. It's not <laughs> oh, that impressive. There's so many more. It's like, there's so many, like, yeah, along with 98% of the other ones. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, I don't know. Smash and stab is so bad. Um, it's just so bad. I don't care who does it. Like, I love David Blaine, but no, stop. Darren Brown, stop. Like, there's great methods that are completely risks, risk-free and all of that, but I just don't think it's an impressive trick. Yeah. Um, now, something that is impressive is, like, when Pendulette does the memory thing with the uh, nail gun. I think that's really impressive. Oh, so good. Uh, because, once again, completely yeah. safe. Completely safe. But it's so more impressive because it yeah. does add that air of danger to it without, A, being overdone. Like, I think that's what kills me is like yeah. David and Blaine it, is doing a trick that I did at my high school talent show, <laughs> like which a speaks to yeah, David Blaine yeah. and how great he is that he can take a simple trick and put it on the biggest stage. Um, but it's just one of those things. I just don't think it's a good trick, but I digress. But that's what makes yeah. David just that what it, it, that's what makes David David is that he does blur those lines and he regurgitates frogs and he swallows swords and he jumps off of tall buildings and he holds his breath. And then he can also do a really good, like two card Monty, like, um, and yeah, it, and it gives credibility. Like, I think David is really good 
about building credibility. And that's like something I work a lot with, uh, with my friend Timon. We work a lot about building that credibility in your show. Um, but I'm sure most of this will be cut. Um, but yeah, no, uh, you're absolutely right. David is carrying on a long, long tradition of doing unspeakable acts for our entertainment. Hey, this is Rory, the non-magic nerd team member at One Ahead. And if you're enjoying this podcast and if you like the free content over on oneahead.com, there's something you can do to help us out. All you've got to do is tell your friends, share this podcast or any of the free content with one of your magician friends, and that'll do us the world of good because it's kind of hard for us to get sponsors when we cover the stories that we cover. So we rely on people reading and sharing. Uh, So I believe our next story... As we mentioned earlier, your debut full story on One Ahead, Nathan. It, it was. So uh, my first two articles were about giving people resources to learn either a way to force a card or a uh, where to learn card magic. But this was like my first time where uh, I was actually doing like a research story, and it only took one month of my life. Wow. And it's titled The Magician with 200 Million Views, The Magic Community Hasn't Noticed Yet, uh, Revealed, which is... Mm-hmm. You know, a big part of it, but and I haven't. I didn't know who he was. I, I I hadn't heard of it. Yeah. So what did uh, you find from your research then after all that uh, month? Th- so the first thing I found is I'm in the wrong business. Um, <laughs> I've made terrible life decisions. Uh, <laughs> because this guy is yeah, uh he he's younger than me. He's 24 years old. His name is Oscar Owen. And up in like me and Rory were just in a little uh, jam session of like pitching ideas of things we could write about. And he was like, "Hey, look up Oscar Owen," and. I just, when I Googled that name and then I found who he was, like he's completely flown under the radar uh, for most people in the magic community. Like I asked around, I was like, Hey, do you know who this is? If you go to his Instagram page, like I might be the only person, you know, who's following him. Um, Cause like he has like 3000 like followers on Instagram, but like no big names in magic. Uh, And his views are just absolutely insane on YouTube. Like he outpaces some of the biggest creators in our, like in the community, like most people in the community who have YouTube channels, this dude's outpacing consistently. Um, he has a super successful course on magic that he sells. Uh, and he has a book published by like one of the largest publishing houses. Um, Oscar really has single handedly became uh, the public face, uh, for a lot of magicians who are starting out. And he did all of this without a single post on the magic cafe. Yeah, and that and that's and that's the the big difference, isn't it? I think you make a choice of of when you're putting content out there. You have to make a choice: are you with or or, or not against or or without the community? Meaning, uh, by that I mean, because uh, if you've got the community in your head when you make stuff, it's going to change a lot of what you do. And he, like a few others, have has kind of gone out there and gone, "No, this is what I'm doing. This is for lay people to learn magic and." the community doesn't come into it. And that's why the magic cafe, mm-hmm. you know, it's just not part of that. That's not part of his, his, his audience at all. Yeah. And I, and I think, and that's the interesting thing is cause like you have these magicians who we all know and we all love and they have YouTube projects and like, they might have 50,000 subscribers maybe. Um, but Oscar has like 1 million and he did it in the course of like less than three years. Like he had a, a couple uh, a couple thousand subscribers and then like the pandemic hit, which I kind of mentioned in the story, which like obviously with people being in the house because of the pandemic, they were like Googling different interests. And like I had a friend who 
she learned how to uh, she learned how to bake bread. Um, and apparently people were learning uh, mirror yeah. skill uh, from Oscar Owen. Um, like people got into different hobbies yeah. and card magic was definitely one of those. And um, Oscar did a really good job of doing that. He, he got a million subscribers. Like that's insane. Like I, I know you do YouTube and and like it's just crazy because I, I, I know with you doing YouTube, you don't have a million subscribers. Let's be honest. No, 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 and that's what I was, I was going to say. And, and and with that that choice, so you have so with if you're making niche videos for the magic community, which mm-hmm. if they're geared towards the magic community, are always going to be, then you can't get involved in vanity metrics. You know, mm-hmm. it, it, and it, this isn't vanity metrics, by the way. The, these his subscribers tend to be, you know, it's not just people watching cat videos. You know, they're engaging with it, but yes, yeah. you know, that's that's what I do. I, I I review magic products and and talk geeky stuff about magic and performing. So it's not only magicians it's magicians who like talking about magic products but it's magicians who like listening to someone waffle on and use it as an excuse to bang on about stuff mm-hmm. so it's it, it that's a that's the choice i make and that's fine and he's made that choice which is yeah. absolutely relevant and he's he's gone at it with you know he's making high quality videos which is so important he knows his seo he knows how to do it he's a bright guy he's 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 good to watch you know he he's not like sitting there looking really awkward um but he he's not for the community and it's you know as, yeah. as, as he's mentioned you know his crediting is yeah. the first one out of many things chung ling su baby of, you know <laughs> um chung ling su but does he care and does it matter yeah what, what's so his like priority? well I, and that's the thing like uh i i got his book um, I got the Kindle version of it and I read through and like there's crediting but it's very sparse and like in most of his YouTube videos mm. he 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 is revealing things and he's not giving credit but I think he, most people when they're like starting this journey of magic they don't care now and I, and I've talked to Oscar Owen like that, that, that's a that's a little secret a little little hush hush down there is I've actually reached yeah. out to Oscar and have spoken yeah, with about. Oscar uh, and he's a lovely dude and um like. And he and he'll he admits like he admitted in our conversation that no he he doesn't always do the homework, uh like he does the homework but he doesn't always like share his sources of uh crediting, and and I'm interested to hear more of Oscar's thoughts on that because like it feels to me he knows that his audience doesn't care. Like let let's call a spade a spade. Most people who are searching yeah. and they're going to find an Oscar Owen video, um, they they don't care who John Bannon is. They should. They absolutely should, but they don't yeah. um, because they're looking after that next secret. Ooh, here's the next secret. Ooh, here's the next secret, right? It's like, ooh, a piece of candy. Ooh, a piece of candy. Like, that's what it is. It's a dopamine rush of yeah. learning a secret. And yeah. And like, if Oscar's listening to this, hi, bud. Um, but like, the reason I bang on about crediting so much is because it doesn't limit us. It doesn't. It actually sets us free because if I was a viewer and I saw that trick that was credited to Chung Ling Su, okay. What if I really like that trick? And I'm like, well, if he created this trick, maybe I want to learn more of his material. And then I find out it wasn't Chung Ling Su's trick because I doubt the dude did card magic. I just, uh, um, especially a triumph. Um, yeah. But like, if, 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 <laughs> um, but it, like John Bannon's, Bannon's triumph, uh, or play it straight triumph or whatever name, uh, it's published under nowadays. Um, what's great about it is there's so many variations. Like you, Joshua J has a variation. Uh, Franco Pascali yeah. has a variation. And like, there's so much work that has been done on this trick by so many people that it actually sets you free because it gives you a, it gives you a chance to kind of nerd out about magic 
and it gives you a chance to kind of go, I really like this trick. Let me find out different variations. Let me see what other people have done with this same method. And then it's kind of also gives you a chance to go, oh, I really like this trick. If you like a trick from John Bannon, you're probably going to like the rest of his tricks too. Like there's going to be something else in his repertoire that you're going to find fascinating. And like when we don't credit and we don't give young magicians that ability to go down these garden paths, I think we really limit magic because Oscar Owen has a course and he claimed uh, it was claimed on an article that was written about him that he had 10,000 members and he was selling this course for 199 USD. So quick math, that tells me almost $2 million. And that's if all those numbers are 100% legit, the price hasn't increased, and all 10000 paid. You have a course, too. Yeah, and you're talking to someone with a magic <laughs> Yeah, you have a course, yeah, too. Going, so, yeah, I haven't got that. <laughs> yeah. So, but, uh, but, I, but it goes back to that. Yeah, it goes back to that thing, doesn't it, of going, you know. Someone said to me once, I was, when I was a street performer in Covent Garden, you know, I was really struggling for the first five years. I, I did Covent for like 10 years. Second half there, I did very, very well. So first half, I struggled and struggled and struggled. And someone said, you know, yeah, but you could do this to make money. You could, If you did this, you'd make more money. And I thought, look, if I really wanted to make money, I could do all sorts of unethical, horrible things. Mm-hmm. And I'm not comparing the two, by the way. But but there are things in me, there are my values that don't allow me to do something. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean I'm going to criticize other people for not having those values. And I think that with crediting, it's a similar thing. It's like, I understand why why it's not important to people the same way as, as a film buff. It's really important to me who directs films. It's really important to me what they're saying or the bigger picture or the indie films are given a chance and all that sort of stuff. But my mum doesn't care. Mm-hmm. You know, she, she goes to the cinema to watch a film and says, is it good or not? And that's yeah. it. And that's, and that's that audience. And I, and I can't criticize her for being like that because she's just not into that side of things. So who am I to say now? Don't get me wrong. I think there's ethic. There's it's different when you're doing someone else's material. That's mm-hmm. that's a different ethical thing. But to make a mistake, and I'm not saying he did. He clearly didn't put the effort in. If I know, but you know, when when sometimes we do jump on people, sometimes that maybe mistakenly a miscredit or think they've come up with an idea, and I think we we need to be compassionate and forgiving and kind of say, you know, the guy's young, he's finding his way. Maybe that'll become important to him. Maybe it doesn't yeah. matter. Maybe when I was that age, I wouldn't have cared um, if I was given that kind of opportunity. I don't know. But I, th- I think to be kind of, you you hit on something really important, which I think why people should pray is to give viewers the opportunity to to find yeah. their way and to, and to build their own kind of repertoire. And that's rather yeah. than thinking his way is the only way. And I'm not saying yeah. he's doing that. And, uh, yeah. And that's and kind of the other end of that. So this whole episode you've been going, I'm old enough to remember. I'm old enough to remember. Well, I'm young enough that my friend, <laughs> Uh, yeah. My first exposure to magic of Why learning not? magic secrets was on YouTube. So like I can relate yeah. to people who are coming to YouTube learning magic. Now, granted, like YouTube was in totally. its infancy when I was learning magic and like there was no crediting, but I didn't care. Right. It wasn't until like I decided, oh, right. I'm going to be a huge nerd and I'm going to nerd out about this stuff that I actually started to care. Yep. And like to me, what Oscar's done that's so impressive is a he's teaching really good material regardless of the ethical implications yeah. of what he's teaching or why he's teaching it, he is teaching really good material. Like in his course, yeah. uh, you can go to his course website and look at what the syllabus is. And like he teaches some of the best, he teaches a version of Sh- Shuffleboard by Simon Aronson. He teaches um, yeah. Triumph 
from Die Vernon. Now, I don't know if those are the actual sources he's using, but like those are where the tricks come from. And to me, those are two of the best tricks. And then he teaches uh, Paul Curry's Out of This World. And like those are three, like if you want three killer card tricks, you can't do better than those three. Yeah. You absolutely can't. Yeah. And what kills me is you can see how long yeah, the videos I, I, are. You can see how long the videos are. And someone like me or you, who have spent the better half of our life being a nerd and not traveling to all these great countries that Oscar has been traveling to. We can cite mm. sources. We can come up with different variations when those variations were published. And to me, I think the people that are clicking on his course, they only want the, that 15 minute video. That's what they want. And yeah. I really hope um, that more people, if they really love magic and I know, and I've talked to Oscar enough that, that I know Oscar loves magic. I hope Oscar is that stepping stone where someone does go, you know what? If I'm going to learn magic, I also want to know the history of these moves, who they come from, because there's a ton of ideas out there. And like, you're absolutely right. You have a course and we've talked enough that I know that you're doing crediting, you're doing your homework and you're giving that homework out to other people too. And I just really hope that. Yeah. Yeah. And I know, I know Rory is going to be like, Nathan, what are you doing on this episode? Always talking about crediting. And I understand Rory, calm down. Uh, but I, I do think it, uh, <laughs> um, and Rory does care about crediting, um, to his credit, uh, get it to his credit. I'm so funny. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, <Yeah>. but it's <laughs> just one of those things. <laughs> uh, it is one of those things that, um, I just can't get over how many views Oscar has. I can't get over how successful his book was. I can't give it over how like he outpaces David Blaine in YouTube views. Like that's insane to me. Yeah, and that doesn't well, it doesn't surprise me now because David Blaine has got a different audience, and and it's his audience went back in the day when Blaine was doing his first specials was was what this audience yeah. would be now, I think. But it's a different audience now. He's yeah. he's. For most of us, he's hidden away in Vegas. We don't know what he's doing. I do, yeah. obviously, but we as as normal people that are yeah. magicians don't know David Blaine's doing a show in Vegas. They have no yeah. idea. And, yeah. and, and I, people that's... say to me all the time, what's he doing now? Is he, you know? Yeah, it, it, it's truly insane. Um, so yeah. we even had a comment on our Instagram. A, we got a comment from Oscar Owen. Uh, and B, we had another yeah. person uh, who said that they found one ahead and they found the world of magic. Uh, because there is an Oscar Owen fan who found us through there, right? The world is so small in that way yeah. that, I mean, it's the same thing. Like me and Rory talked about it last time where you had people in the magic cafe saying that Rick Lax is the reason they got into magic and Rick Lax yeah. for a very long time was like, in my mind, the face of Facebook, like, like even, yeah, yeah you just couldn't go scroll through anyone's Facebook without seeing uh, Rick Lax. And like, it kind of, when you look at the numbers that Oscar Owen is doing, if he, I had two people in my life, uh, a coworker and uh, one of my good friends, I, I asked them both, Hey, just go on YouTube real quick. And like, if you want to learn a card trick, if you want to learn a magic trick, just search it, whatever comes natural to you. Yeah. And within three scrolls on both of them, you found Oscar Owen, um, which is incredible yeah. that the, the dude's doing amazing work being the public face of magic. Um, we can sit here on our little ivory towers and say he needs to do better crediting or he doesn't need to teach this. Look, dude's out there doing his thing. Um, I look forward to talking to him more in the future. Um, and maybe me and him can like hash out the whole crediting thing because it wasn't Chung Ling Su. <laughs> it wasn't. Yeah. And, and, and I, my, my feeling is that he'll, he'll go through that and, and, you know, you can read yeah. his full story, of course, on oneahead.com. Um, 
my feeling is that, you know, if I looked at when I got into magic, all I wanted to do was learn it and do it. And it was le- a bit later when I kind of went, actually, there's a, this is important. And I, I yeah. think that might be part of his journey. It might not be. Um, but David Ong made a good point about how Oscar isn't coming to our community, he is thriving outside of the community. And I think that's exactly what he's doing. And no, and he's absolutely killing there. it. You know, he's absolutely killing it. Always, yeah, he's, and my thing is, I, I'm always going to root for people's success in magic always because successful anybody in magic Absolutely. is successful magic in general. Um, so like, yeah, yeah, we might not always get along with, uh, with everybody in the community. Uh, <laughs> go listen to episode one. You can find out exactly how bad the community can get sometimes. Um, but no, uh, <laughs> um, but I do think that, uh, Oscar doing so well in these views, uh, it's only good for magic. Uh, Magic will always survive. Yeah, okay. Magic will always survive. And I just want to leave this part of this episode with this. Uh, Eugene Berger, who is by far my favorite magician to ever walk this planet. Uh, he was asked about like exposure and all that. And he said, exposure will not kill magic. Uh, it's magicians performing outside of their capability that will. Um, and yeah. I always think back to that. I can be mad for someone not crediting. I can be mad that someone's exposing a trick. But ultimately, what's going to kill magic faster is people just not putting in the work of doing good magic. So uh, on that note, I think we're going to head over to the last story, which you are briefly mentioned in, because for our last story, we have another YouTuber. Uh, we have another YouTuber in the news. Isn't that right, Steve? Yeah. Not just any type of YouTube. One of them One of them ra- magic reviewers. Oh, they're the worst. I can't stand Idiot. those. <laughs> can't stand those guys. Idiots. <laughs> Idiots. I swear all of them. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, totally. I, I, I agree. <laughs> I'm one of the biggest uh, idiots, not magic reviews. Uh, yeah, so this story is uh, why the Magic Circle just banned this magician. And it's a follow-up story from uh, the last month about No Quarters to Fall, of which I had slightly involvement in, but not as much as everybody else. Uh, and magic reviewer Scott Perry. <laughs> he's, he's actually Our good friend Scott. Anyway, the uh, Magic Circle took... Yeah, good friend Scott. He's doing well. Everybody knows who he is now. Uh, the Magic Circle... Oh, I should get banned. The Magic Circle took action after they found out about method exposure in one of Perry's videos about the fall. They handed him a six-month suspension, and as an apprentice member, the suspension will last a lifetime if Perry doesn't take down the offending video and write an apology to the Magic Circle in Noel Court. In our little magic community, you have to take the video down, yeah. and we want a written apology. Uh, you break silly rules, you have to do silly things to get back in good graces. Um, yeah, so that's the magic <laughs> drama everybody's been waiting for in this episode. Because um, episode one was just filled chock full of it. Uh, almost every story was just drama after drama. Uh, this this month's show, a little bit more easygoing, but uh, we're going to end off with some fireworks because, boy, does this story have some fireworks. Wow, it's great, isn't it? I love all this stuff. It's I, I liked all the receipt stuff as well. I did. I could have read about it for years. I think it's great fun. <laughs> no, it is. You know, it, 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 I mean, like, I actually had someone reach out to me on Instagram, and they were like, because uh, at one point in the story, I go, it's just receipts. And they're like, thank you. Thank you. We've been waiting for that. Uh, no, and, like, this thing is, like, it's so interesting. I, I don't know Scott, and I never heard about Scott until this whole controversy started. And no. It's just so weird, isn't it? Because, like, it's not just that the fact that this is happening. It's the fact that it's happening in the public eye. Like, they're going to newspapers about an online article about him getting kicked out of the Magic Circle. Um, It's so... It's so interesting. Because it's like, 
Well, I just... Yeah, sorry, I but I but in there, but I, it, it's interesting. But I also think it's one of those things where, when when I when I first first started, I'm very long story short. Uh, I was a street performer, moved up to Sheffield, and I wanted to get gigs right, and I, mm. I didn't want to work the street anymore. So I, re- I read lots of books how to get not just get gigs, but how to kind of you know be you know be make your own choices, be responsible, and one of the you know get, make your own publicity and all that kind of thing, and. And if oh, you Scott Barry has that, publicity. You know, <laughs> Scott Barry has some publicity. Well, he does, and he's made those choices, and he he's dis- decided that that's that's going to work for him, and maybe it will because you know, people again, lay people will say to me, "Oh, yeah, that Penn and Teller, they're they're not allowed to be in a magic circle, are they?" Because they would have heard a mm-hmm. an interview about it. So there's a kind of notoriety and a kind of I'm not saying there is, but in some people's eyes, there might be a kind yeah. of rock and roll nurse. That's a good word. Yeah. Um, of being kicked out of the magic circle. That that might work for him in the public eye in, it, a, in a weirdly similar way to how it might work for someone that wants to get millions of views yeah. exposing tricks on YouTube. They're not part yeah. of the community, so they don't want to be. Yeah. And like, I, it's a yes and no for me on that because, like, A, here in the States, we don't think about the magic circle. Like, uh, no, we don't. We just don't. Uh, we have magic clubs, obviously. Um, but like, it's nothing like the magic circle. The magic circle is just huge in England. Um, but like, so it's kind of a two part question. Like, is, uh, the magic circle actually representative of modern magic today? And B, uh, Scott kind of banged on about, uh, like how old and white and smell the magic circle is. After he got kicked out, obviously. Yeah. Um, because beforehand, let's not touch those subjects. But now that I'm kicked out, let's touch those subjects. So, like, is it representative of magic uh, in general in a modern sense? And then, like, is the magic circle, like, is it still this old white man's club? Because, like, from an outside perspective, it definitely much feels like that's true. Uh, I just thought it was kind of funny that Scott kind of pointed that out after he was kicked out. Yeah, and, and it's it's a it's an easy thing to it's an easy thing to go for, isn't it? Um, it's an easy target because the the just to, just to kind of you know I, Scott's doing something he's doing both things. I think he's doing things that that will kind of annoy the community, but he also wants to be in the community because he's a reviewer, and he, if you're a reviewer, you're in. That's what you are. You know, that's the yeah. only people are going to watch your videos. Um, so on, on the questions of the magic circle. In England, it's very interesting. I, I most of my friends aren't magicians. I, I in the last few years, I've got more and more magician friends. But I was kind of outside. <laughs> God bless you. Uh, yeah, God time. bless you for not having magic friends. It's a uh, it's a real treat not to well, have. Them. Well, I, I mean, the friends I have now that magic friends are lovely. But but I came into magic in a different. I was performing it before I met any other magicians mm-hmm. or, or went to a, a a convention. So it was a it was a kind of different thing. But you, so friends, if I say I'm a magician, they go, oh, you in the magic circle. Often mm. the first thing that people say in England is, are you in that magic circle? And they don't really know much about it. They see it as a secret society, this kind of romantic idea of people going there and learning all the things, which is probably what it used to be. A covenant they, in they, garden They're secrets. a bit disappointed. Yeah, and, and they're almost a bit disappointed when you go, oh, yeah, it's open on Mondays and it's a club and everybody goes and has a drink. And they're like, oh, you know, it's not like a covenant of people. So... See, that's why I couldn't be in the magic circle. It. That's why I couldn't be in the magic circle. Someone would be like, "Are you in the magic circle?" Yeah, we just sacrificed a goat last night. Yeah, well, yeah, and a friend of mine actually is obsessed with that idea of that. Surely that's what happens there. He's, he's very gutted that it doesn't. Um, but I think that 
that it's obviously it's relevant because of its historical, you know, mm. work in in in. I don't know. I mean, to me, you know, I joined because I think well, because people say you're in a magic circle. I just want to say yes rather than no because and this because you know I don't mm. pay the subscription or whatever, which I think it mine's overdue actually, but. Mm. Um, they're okay. Yeah, you great stuff. You're the next on one. There. You're the next one. Just new yeah, band. Yeah. I'm the next one. Well, you know what I mean. Just, Two reviewers for Christ One. I love it. Much, well, how much do I expose talking about magic? You know, I, I yeah. kind of, I, I, I always ask to always ask the creators what are you happy with me talking about, and they'll mm. go, I want you to show this, and I'll go, Well, I'm exposing it, but you want me to show it, I'll show it. So, yeah, especially if it's a piece of tech, because they know that the only people watching it. Are magicians. magicians, you know, non magicians are not watching review channels. Yeah, like, and I, a, I think that's true. I, I, I do think that's largely true. But B, I think, and it's really easy for me to say this because I'm not a magic reviewer. Uh, I have never reviewed magic mm. publicly. Um, but it's really easy to talk about like reviewing without exposing the trick. But like a lot of these ad copies, like that's why we need people like you because these, like, I, I banged on last episode. I'll continue to bang on it. These ad copies just got out of hand because it's like. No strings, no magnets, no goat sacrifices. Um, and you're like, okay, then what's the method? Yeah. And then you need someone like you, uh, or Scott Perry, uh, to just show me the method if I'm just interested. Uh, uh, to, like, to show me yeah. show me what I'm actually buying. Because, like, it's just, A, it's weird that we just sell secrets. Like, can we just talk about that for a second? It's just weird that we're a community that sells secrets um, so we can perform for other people who don't know the secret. It's just kind of weird. Yeah. It's a little bit strange. It is weird, and that's but that yeah, but that is isn't that what makes it great? You know, the weirdness is what is what attracted me to it. And you know, I I don't want to do normal things. I want to do quite yeah. odd things, which sounds yeah. weak, but I don't mean like that. But <laughs> it's just, well, how but, are we talking about yeah, here, Steve? Why, what are we doing? More yeah, girls sacrifices? Well, we don't want to go there. But, uh, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> all right, all right, it's fine. Bye. Um, but. Um, the, but uh, yes, it is weird, and that's why people are fascinated yeah. with it. If it wasn't weird, people wouldn't be fascinated with it. And and what I always think that if the effect of a trick is honest, if 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 you see an effect in a trailer and that trick does that thing, mm-hmm. that's what you're buying. You're not yeah. buying the fact that the so you if and, and if that that costs a thousand pound or ten pound. If it does that, you can't be disappointed when yeah. you get it, and it does yeah. that trick. Regardless, you've made that choice. Now, of course, you know if it's if it's dishonest, and people always say to me, "Oh, you're always saying everything's brilliant." That's because people don't send me the rubbish stuff, and I'm not going to buy it. Um, so, or it's, at least like just don't know. review rubbish. You know what I mean? Like that's something else. If you don't like something, just don't review it. Like or, or don't talk no, about it. Like or, I can't. Like I have so many books on my bookshelves, and people are like, "Oh, is that a good book?" And I'm like. I read it once and never picked it up again. You you decide. Versus I bang on about these certain yeah. books that I've read like five or six times. Um, but like, I don't know. I have a lot of friends that aren't magicians. Like I would say the majority of my friends are not magicians. And like, they mm-hmm. always get so sad when they're like, well, how did you learn magic? I'm like, oh, there's books and articles and uh, magazines. Yeah, and right. They, they, they get a little bit disappointed because they want the goat sacrifice. Yeah. Um, and so to me, yeah. once again, it is weird. And I love being weird. I love being strange. Um, but yeah, it's just, we need magic reviewers. We need it. We have to have it. Um, there's no way, cause if you're gonna have a marketplace, you want actual good reviews, like in like not good reviews in the sense of, Oh, this is brilliant. This is like, no, we want stuff. That's like, no, this is yeah, good. This is bad. But I think there's a way of talking down about a method without, you know, 
exposing it. Well, that's what it takes to, yeah, and that's what and that's what the skill of it is, I think. And it's 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 well, it's getting out, talking to the creator always about not about whether they want to say whether it's good or not, but you know, what are you happy with me talking about? Mm -hmm. It's it's having an, a mind of, you know, I, like I'm very careful with apps. Like I don't put apps on my normal. Mm -hmm. uh, Facebook page. I don't put tags on them because I think that is something that I want to kind of, because people just don't know. And so, the tech is amazing at the moment. Oh yeah. But you know, uh, we talk about crediting. If I think about the show I'm doing tonight. I'm oh yeah. You have a show. Tricks. Yeah. Time out everybody. Time out everybody. Uh, let's give <laughs> Steve a huge round of applause. Cause this dude was like, yes, <laughs> I'm going to sit down with one ahead. Oh, hours before my show goes live. Day. Hours before my show goes yeah, live, Steve, you have a yeah. new I show. Compartmentalized it. <laughs> yeah, you're just you're sitting there going, "Oh, I know I have to do this show, oh. but I haven't done it yet." Yeah. So, uh, thank you so much it's for terrifying. You know. Yeah. So, t tell us a little bit about the show. Yeah, you're welcome. Well, and the the thing I was going to say, it, it was relevant. It, it's it's I'm doing stuff that scared me all my life, and I'm doing stuff that a lot of people will know kind of the method because it's got Lincoln rings, multiplying balls. It's stuff that you get in kids' magic sets. And it's stuff that I remember seeing in books as a kid in the library. I didn't get into magic as a kid, but I was kind of interested in it. And and I saw that the, the, the ring with a gap in it and it was in my set. And I, but it, that exposure didn't ruin it for me. And I think that, you know, if you're going to ban people for exposing things, well, don't, you know, think about what you're putting out there selling mm -hmm. to kids because a lot of it's the same methods that people are making a living out of. They might be sort of a, a very basic version of it. So there's a, it's not quite as black and white. I don't think. Yeah. Uh, as I think, it, I think it's been a bit harsh on them to be honest, because I think there's a lot of people doing a lot worse. And I yeah. think on a niche channel that, that people aren't really going to see, nobody's going to find this stuff if they're not a magician. Yeah. It's I not mean, the sort of trick. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things. There has to be an entry point to magic. There has to be an entry point to magic. And I think there's some great books. There's some great YouTube channels. Uh, there's some great magic kits. Like, truly impressive magic kits that are out there. Um, and there has to be a, a way for people to get interested in magic. Um, I'll, I'll go ahead and give a shout-out, because I have a niece. I have a little niece. She's uh, 10 years old. I got her the Joshua J uh, Big Magic for Little Hands. And she Isaac, loved great. it. She loved it. And like it's so well done. So shout out to Joshua J for that. Um, but there is definitely a way to have an entry point for magic. And the thing about this whole thing is, and, and and we can go back to Oscar Owen about this. That entry point of magic, I think we should give leeway to people. I think we should, as a magic community, if we want the community to continue to grow and to continue to have people to put out amazing ideas and all of this, we have to have leniency with entry points. I think the thing with Scott yeah. Perry is that he's not an entry point magician. He knows better. He does. Uh, for whatever reason, he decided to do what he did. Um, and now he's kicked out of a silly little club. That's, I mean, yeah. I mean, that's how I see it. Well, like, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. And it is, it is different. I think I think that, that he, yes, I'm not saying, I'm, but I think it's been a bit harsh to, to, to kick someone out um, because mm -hmm. I think that if you're going to start making those decisions, then well, which they do, of course. Yeah. And I'm not saying, you know, like, like it says in the article, they probably did have a choice because they've got that rule, but there are a lot of people doing a lot worse to the public. And if you're talking mm -hmm. about exposure, if you're exposing a trick to magicians on a niche channel or exposing yep. a trick to millions and millions of people that aren't magicians, that's exposure. Um, but of course, those people probably aren't in the magic circle. Um, uh, so I, you know, I don't agree with what he's done. 
I didn't agree with the review, but I think to create a kind of witch hunt kind of hate thing is nothing but negative, really. I yeah. think it's just something that should have been like, yeah, whatever. Especially in the public eye. But you know what? I think we've had, at least I have, had my fill of magic drama. Steve, I know we just mentioned that you have a show coming yeah. up tonight. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Because I know you just got over COVID. So what's that like? No, it's, um, yeah, so tonight, yeah, it's, it's terrifying, actually. I'm I'm really, I'm nervous in a good way, but it's a weird one to do a show here because lots of people I know come and watch it. And and I hosted shows um, for years. You know, I would do like Free Magicians and Me hosting and then I'm doing a solo show. Um, and this is all the stuff that, I've wanted to do for years, but I've been too nervous. I maybe performed a bit, but then got spooked because something went wrong. So it's all the stuff that kind of keeps me up at night. And it's loads of classics, Lincoln rings, um, multiplying balls, some mentalism in there. And it's all the, it's answering that question for me of kind of what magic do I really like rather than what I should like. And when you're steeped in the community and in reviewing, it's hard to kind of pick those mm-hmm. things apart. And it all comes back to the classics for me. So um, it's going to be me kind of, doing a load of stuff that I've done, a bit of stuff that I've done for a few years, a lot of new stuff and hopefully having fun doing it. Well, that's awesome. And I know, uh, probably doing linking rings while you're coughing and not being able to smell anything. Must have been absolutely terrible. (laughs) Uh, I could not imagine. So, uh, thank you again, Steve, for, uh, helping us out with this podcast. Uh, thank you so much. Yeah, you're welcome. And just to qualify that for people who don't know, I've just had COVID. It's not that I just cough a lot and I'm, can't smell anything but uh no he, no, he just can't smell it has that's... nothing to do with covid he just can't he can't smell anything he's old he's old he's lost the senses <laughs> yeah i'm old enough to not be able to smell anything and cough too much oh <laughs> uh, you're absolutely welcome uh, it's been a real real pleasure okay uh, i think uh we're at the point where we can just do two or three takes of the uh readout and i think we should be good oh shit uh oh where's that Oh, sorry, that's on the next bit. <laughs> brilliant. Keep that right, in, Rory. So I just keep that. in the hole. Oh, right. shit, and then go into the readout. <laughs> oh, God. Every, everything's on the next bit of paper. It's such a, I never print stuff out, usually. <laughs> I'm like going backwards in time. That- <laughs> this podcast was written and produced by Nathan Wilson and was co-hosted by Nathan and Steve Faulkner. That's me. All of the stories can be read in full at oneahead.com, so be sure to comment on upcoming stories to get featured in the podcast next month. And if you want to hear more about what I've got to say about stuff, go to Real Magic Review on YouTube, where you'll see reviews which hopefully don't expose that.